Good morning. If you would, just keep your Bibles open to Matthew 16. We'll be looking at that passage in a, a little more here in a moment. But uh, I'd like to start out and say uh, thank you all so much. You know, I was thinking, I was thinking about Sundays. Well, I was thinking about today in, in particular and how important today is. And it's not because it's Sunday. That, that's not what I should have started out with. It's not because it's Sunday. But today is a very, very important day. And I was thinking to myself, why? Why is today so important? Because it's not about me. I'm, I'm nobody. My, my thoughts are, are the thoughts of a nobody. And it's not about you and your attendance. What is it that makes today and every day so important? And what I believe it is, is it's the purpose. It's the purpose of each day. It's the purpose of what we're doing right now that makes it so important. It's the purpose of who we serve. It's the purpose of who we worship. It's God. It's His Word that makes each day, but especially today, so important. And so that's why I thank you. That's why I thank you, because with the importance of, of, of each day, and especially right now, on a day that you knew God's Word was going to be proclaimed, a day that you knew like-minded Christians were going to gather together to worship Him, to sing praises to Him, and to pray to Him, you chose to be here. And that's why I say thank you, because that's what I need. As we talked about in class this morning, I need to be surrounded by people like that, especially in times when we're dealing with, with things that are hard. And that brings us kind of closer to our, our Scripture reading in Matthew 16. Uh, what Richard read for us, and I appreciate him doing so, is a, um, Jesus is having a dialogue with his disciples. And in that dialogue, he's basically saying, who do you believe I am? And, and Peter stands up and says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. He, he really kind of gets the, the right answer. He should get the, the gold medal, if you will. And Jesus, that's what he was looking for. But then he goes on later in verse 21 to tell them, you're right, I'm the Christ. But I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be killed, but I'm going to be resurrected on the third day. He says in verse 21, From that time Jesus began to show to His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. This must have been incredibly hard. We see in the next couple of passages, especially for Peter. But what they were, were, they were coming to realize is that He is who they've been waiting for. He is the Messiah. And, and now He says that He's going to be killed. That doesn't really match up with what their thoughts of, of what the Messiah was going to be. But what Jesus was doing, the reason He did this, was, was for their betterment. He was really doing something special for, the, for the, uh, the disciples here. He was getting them ready. Because their conviction was about to be tested unlike any other test that they ever had to endure. They are about to really have to go through something hard. He was preparing them to make an ultimate decision. He was saying, yes, I am Christ. And I'm going to be killed. Are you going to follow me? What he was really telling them is, are you, have you examined the cost of following me? He goes on, whether they understood it or not, to do something really, really special. He ties his death by crucifixion to true discipleship. Look in Matthew 16 and verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him to deny himself... And take up his cross and follow me. Have you ever noticed here that Christ ties true discipleship and the cross together? 
it's possibly here that the disciples didn't even have a true understanding of his impending death. I mean, he, he had proclaimed to them that he was going to be that he was going to die. He went farther to say more than just I'm not I'm going to die. He said I'm going to be killed. He took it a step further, and maybe maybe he explained to them more than that. We don't have it recorded for us, but I do find it interesting that in this passage he's not showing the cross as his punishment to bear. No, he's showing the cross as a teaching tool to let them know that they need to examine themselves. They need to examine the cost. And this was not an invitation either. We need to be aware of that. This was not an invitation to those as to whether or not they would follow Him. These men were already following Him. These men had already, uh, as Peter showed, believed that He was the Christ. They were already making efforts to follow Him. This was a warning. This was a warning to them, that, and it's one that we do very well to be mindful of ourselves in this day. Maybe that you've made the decision this morning already to follow Christ. Maybe that's, that's something that's already on your mind. You've already made the decision. So you should be aware that at any time, if the cost is ever too high, you're free to leave. The fact is, the Lord's army is, is compromised, is made up of only volunteers. This isn't a drafted army. And so we should continually be examining the cost. Whereas Luke 9.23 says we should daily take up our cross. We need to be looking at this. And, and I, I kind of wonder, do you think the disciples, do you think the disciples maybe, maybe after Jesus' death, maybe on that day of Pentecost, do you think they ever at some point looked back and, and looked at what He said and remembered what He said here? Do you think they understood what He truly meant when He said, take up your cross? and follow after me. I think they got it. But do we? Do we understand it? Do we know what it means to follow Jesus in such a way as to take up your cross? Have we examined that cost? Because we hear the phrase often. We hear someone say, well, you know, that's, that's just my cross to bear. That's my cross to bear. And they're oftentimes talking about some sort of frivolous problem that they have in this life. Maybe, maybe it's a, a financial problem. Maybe it's a, a health problem. But I think the cross that Jesus took up was so much more than that. And I think the disciples understood that, and we do well to understand that today. Do we truly understand what that means? I hope we can at least see that taking up our cross is going to cost us something. And that's what I want to focus on this morning. I have three points that I would like to look at as we consider the cost of following Jesus. And the first one is that taking up your cross, taking up your cross implies self-denial. I want to start right here in this passage, Matthew 16, 24, right where Jesus started. When He said, If anyone desires to come after Me, let him deny himself. How often in life do, do we do that? How often will we rather deny others from doing things? But Christ was really telling us here that you, your, your focus needs to be at the beginning. Your focus needs to be on yourself. You might go, well, that seems contradictory to, to what I've read in the Bible. Now, it seems like we're, we're, we're supposed to put others first. We're supposed to put others before ourselves. Now, is, doesn't that contradict what the Bible says? And it doesn't. It doesn't contradict it because we can't even begin to start living a Christian life to include things like putting others first. We can't begin to do those things until we would first say no to ourselves, no to our desires, no to our wants, and say yes to God. So in other words, we can't begin to live a Christian life. We can't begin to even take up our cross until we submit our will to God. 
And this is, it's, it's an incredibly easy thing to do in thought. In thought, this is something that's so simple to do. Yeah, I, I'll do that. I can, I can do that. Jesus, on the night betrayed, He said these words, Father, if it be uh, not my will, but yours be done. How many times throughout history has that thought, that prayer been repeated? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So oftentimes we, we say these prayers, we think this thought, but do we live a life reflecting of that prayer, reflecting of that thought? I know that I don't always do that. So oftentimes my prayers might be better worded, not your will, but mine be done, Lord. Is that the kind of life that we live? And that's why I wanted to start here with self-denial, where Jesus starts at, because instill we stop trying to focus on what we want, on what our will is, and start focusing on what God's will is, we can never truly take up our cross. We can never take up our cross if we don't start focusing on what God wants. See, the flesh, the flesh desires to be preserved. We don't desire pain. We don't desire anguish. We don't desire humiliation. But what did the cross bring to Jesus? When Jesus said, follow after me, what was He asking us to follow after? He could have simply said those words in the garden. Thy will be done. We sing the song, then He could have called 10,000 angels. Then He could have called 10,000 legions of angels. But Jesus did more than just say these words and pray these prayers. Jesus lived these words. Brothers and sisters, Jesus died on these words. If we're going to follow Him, the first step is we must first deny our selfish wants and our selfish desires and give ourselves wholly to God. Because until we do that, our next point is all but impossible. Because after self-denial, take up your cross also implies that there is a sacrifice to be made. Because of sin, we were deserving of death. And we need to understand that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was because of our sin. <clears throat> and we see this very vividly. Uh, we, we see the, the effects of sin very, very vividly if we think back to the first family on earth. If we think back to Adam and to Eve. We think of how God and man had this relationship in the garden, which could easily be described as a paradise. A paradise, the relationship they had. But sin entered into the picture. Into the picture. And because of that sin, God separated Himself from man. Death was introduced. Toiling and laboring, pain and childbirth. All these things were introduced, but because, because of the grace and mercy of a great and loving God, a plan was created to bring us back into that relationship. Back into that relationship with Him. And so initially it began with sacrifices made by men for their sins. Sacrifices of blood. But as we'll read here in Hebrews 10 and verse 1-4, through 4, if you want to go ahead and turn there, these sacrifices of blood, they could never fully remove the sin from our lives. In, verses, in verse 1, for the, law, for the law having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things can, of the things can never with these same sacrifices which they offered continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect. For them would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshippers once purified would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. 
For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. We saw that these sacrifices that, that were initially started to, to, to cover the sin, they didn't fully cover it. There was always that reminder of the sin. There was something more. There was something needed that was different. And Jesus offered that different sacrifice. In verse 11 of the same passage in Hebrews 10, And every, pray, every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifice which can never take away sins. But this man, talking about Jesus, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. We see Jesus saying to His disciples, you have to sacrifice. He made a sacrifice. He was saying you have to, to follow after Me, to pick up your cross and to bear that cross. You have to do the same thing. You have to make a sacrifice. So my next question for you this morning is what are you sacrificing? What are we sacrificing to follow Jesus? Maybe you think, well, it's my time. I mean, I'm, I'm here on Sunday mornings. I come on Sunday afternoons. I'm here Wednesday mornings. And that's good. That's, that's at the very least what we can offer in our time. Maybe you say it's our money. I give it in the collection as God has commanded. These are all really good ways that we sacrifice. But examining the cost of discipleship, you should understand that, what, that you are called to sacrifice something so much more, more sacrificial. At times so much more harder than just our time and our money. Look over in Matthew in chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse uh, 34. Come up here in Matthew. Matthew chapter 10 and in verse 34. And this is Jesus speaking. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. A true disciple of Christ must be aware that the cost of being a disciple could involve losing relationships that we hold so incredibly dear. Even our own families could be placed at odds against us. And, and we may be tempted to just sit quietly. To preserve the peace at home, we, we, we may not ever speak up, but that's not what God desires. That's not what He's looking for. He's looking for someone who's willing to make that sacrifice. And many will say, that cost, that's just too high. That cost is too high for me to bear. If I say something to my family, they may never speak to me again. I, I just, I can't do that. And what I want to suggest to you this morning is that's the devil. The devil whispering in your ear saying, you, you don't have to do this. You don't have to do this. You can't do this. You can't risk this. But don't listen to Him. Don't listen to Him. Because Jesus will tell us, and Paul will show us, that, that there is so much more to be gained by being a disciple of Christ. But also, on the same thought, turn over to Luke. In Luke 9, just another example of, some, of, of how we may have to sacrifice, how we may have to lose in being a Christian. Luke 9, starting in verse 57. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to Him, Lord, I will follow You wherever You go. I think of Peter oftentimes. 
I think of Peter. uh, This person, no doubt, must have been so much like Peter who said this. I will follow you wherever you go, Lord. You see, you hear the conviction in that. You, you think this is, this is a person that's really going to follow after Jesus. And you would think Jesus would turn around and say, Thank you. Thank you. And I want more people like this man right here. But Jesus turns around and He gives him a warning. In verse 58, Jesus says to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay His head. What He was saying is, you don't make sure you know what you're saying. When you say, I will follow you wherever you go. When you say, I will be a Christian, make sure you know what you're saying because what you're saying is, I'm not going to live a life full of glam. I'm not going to live a life that is easy. I'm not going to live a life full of comfort. Jesus was saying here, illustrating it, saying, I don't even have a place to stay. My life isn't the, the epitome of a good lifestyle, of what the world thinks of as a good lifestyle. Think about what you're saying. Then he turns to another in verse 59 and says, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you, you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you. But let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. And Jesus said to him, no one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. We may have to give up very much. And the cost is truly high. But when we think back to Jesus' words in Matthew, Matthew 19.29, He says, And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or fathers, or mothers, or children, or farms for My name's sake, will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. That, that passage, that verse, should give us so much hope. No matter what we lose in this life, No matter what we sacrifice in this life, we are going to be paid back so much more in the life to come. When we start to think about it that way, does it really feel like a sacrifice anymore? It's hard. It's very hard. But we're going to be paid back to such an extent that even passages like Luke 14 and 33, if you want to go ahead and turn there, where it says we must be prepared to forsake all that we have to be a disciple of Christ. These passages seem a little bit easier. And to do so, it brings us to our last point that I want to look at. The taking up your cross implies that we have to have a full commitment to Christ. Here, look in 14, Luke, uh, excuse me, look here in Luke 14 and verse 33, where he says, So likewise, whoever of you Whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. I think it's the uh, New American Standard Version who, who says, Whoever does not give away all of his possessions cannot be my disciple. And we read that, and the first thing we think of is, Whoa, that's, that's tough. It's tough because I've, I've got a lot of possessions. As Jim mentioned earlier, we are extremely, extremely blessed in this country. Even from the, from the poorest of us, if we, if we really truly open our eyes and look to the world around us, we're rich. We have so much. And this passage is saying we have to give all that away to follow Christ. Well, I would suggest that we look and spend some time in the context of this passage. Because in the context, it's referring to someone who is prepared 
to give away all that they have for Christ. He talks about in verse 28, one who builds a tower. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish all who will see it begin... um, not able to finish, all who will see it will begin to mock him. So we see one who, who sets to this work, this work of building a tower here, but sets to the work and hasn't counted the cost, hasn't sat down and examined it, and runs out halfway through the project, runs out of steam, runs out of funds. But he also talks about in verse 31, a king, who before he goes into battle, discerns whether or not he can be victorious in the battle or whether he should try to seek terms of peace says, or what king going to make war against another king does not set down first to consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. Or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. In both of these situations, what we see is someone who needs to make sure they are fully committed to the job at hand. Fully committed. How committed? Does that, does that imply how committed was Christ? How committed is Christ who we model ourselves after? We call ourselves Christians, people who are like Christ. Well, Christ denied His desires to not be tortured, His desire to not be physically destroyed, to not have the flesh ripped from His body, to not be hung upon a cross and suffocate. He desired not to be humiliated, to be slapped, spit upon, punched. Christ denied all these desires. And then He sacrificed. Sacrificed leaving heaven, being equal with God, to be brought down like a man. He sacrificed a life of peace for a life hated by those around Him. He sacrificed His life for an unthankful creation. Now let me ask you, could He do that half-heartedly? Could He just do that with a kind of a, well, maybe that's what I'll do? Sometimes that's the kind of attempt we give to Christianity. A half-hearted attempt. But that's not what we see in Christ. Christ wasn't half-hearted. So a half-hearted attempt to be a Christian isn't a Christian at all. If we're going to pick up our cross, if we're going to place that burden of self-denial and sacrifice on our back, if we're going to walk that walk and talk that talk, or as he says says in the Scriptures, if we're going to run the race, we had better be determined to see it out to the very end. We had better make our mind up right now We better make it up at the beginning. We better make it up right now when we have the chance. We better be fully committed to Christ. And that doesn't mean that there won't be times. There won't be times when we struggle, when we feel the pressure of the world squeezing in on us, making it hard. We feel the pressure of the devil and those fiery darts. There won't be times when we grow weary, when we grow tired and weak. But if we are fully committed now, in those times... We will rely on things like the power and the love of God to get us through. We will rely on things like the help that He provides through His Holy Spirit. Like the example we see of His Son, Jesus our, uh, the Christ, our Lord and Savior. We will rely on the family that He has blessed us with in the church. 
So my lesson to you this morning, my, my, my challenge to you this morning is examine the cost. Examine the cost of following Jesus. It certainly is high. It's high, but the reward far outweighs the cost. Maybe this morning you, you are here and you're, you're thinking about it. You are weighing that cost in your mind now. And maybe you're thinking that does sound awfully high. That sounds awfully high, but Jesus reminds you His burden is easy. His yoke is light. And Paul reminds us in Philippians 4.13 that you can do it. Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ. What will you do? If it be your desire this morning to answer the invitation of the Lord, you must know that while it's hard, you have, you have a support group. You have friends. You have family that are desiring for you to do your best. And maybe you've already made that decision to come to Christ and you're in those times of trouble. Let your brothers and sisters know. Let us know so we can help. Whatever your need may be this morning, I encourage you, please, come forward now as we stand and sing.